wanted to be <laughs> our new vo- our new face of the franchise fan. Like Spike's Spike's agent out of of uh, mm. the people. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. Like yeah. they make you think about crazy things like that because nothing else. There's no explanation that would make sense otherwise. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I, but it, I just I can't imagine that somebody would be as reliably loyal as Spike Lee has been to right. the Knicks. Like, right. I, I, just, I mean, there are people who aren't disloyal to their own wives. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. So I, yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. Like you know, like there's nobody that says take Spike to the side and says, "Yo, man, this is you know that they, they want to do a little different." They want to do a little different, you know, you can come in this way tonight, but you know, they want you to go to the other side from now on. I mean, just like explain it to him, but not tell him he has to leave the building and go back out. You know what I'm saying? That doesn't make any sense. So anyway, um, that's, that's just, it's crazy. I wanted to get to your, to your style rankings. Cause we haven't had a chance in, in the last week or two to kind of yes, sir. talk about them. Um, you gave in, man. You gave in to the fan, the voice of yeah. the fan. They wanted, they wanted some new flavors, some new faces, and uh, you obliged. And um, you know, um, I was Alfred Payton jumps to mind at, at, yeah. at, to you know as somebody that to me, you know, went went real minimalist, but still caught your eye. Of course, um, it, it, to me, that's what it's to me. It's about executing a plan, right? Like right now I want to look casual. I want to look like, you know, just, just another day in the park as I come into this arena and he executed it while looking good. Like nothing looks out of place. Nothing looks, you know, out of order. He looks fine. And, you know, you mentioned, (laughs) you mentioned giving into the sort of, you know, the people, (laughs) if you will. Um, You know, I like to think of myself as a populist, you know, even though I might have a a reputation out there in the internet as, as this elitist but I'm not I, I want and you know part of it is you know you always want to be like look people don't know what they're talking about they're just screaming at the thing so it's like I went and I mentioned this in the piece I went into it on some how do I prove these people wrong yeah yeah right 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 <laughs> so <laughs> they didn't know what they were talking about and the more I dug in I'm like you know what there's different things that I should be giving light to and, 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 you know, giving love to. And that's what I did. I just, you know, even somebody like Kuzma, who for what he does on the actual court gets mm-hmm. a lot of attention. So yeah. it's not like I could have even avoided right. Kyle Kuzma. Like he's on TV every week. Like he's just way more popular and visible than he should be. Like he's more visible than a Chris Middleton. Right. Who's right. like five times the player that this kid is, right? Right. Um, and so you're constantly being bombarded with this kid. And, you know, for the most part, and I think he's taking advantage of that, right? Like he's all of the stuff that he's doing off the court with the fashion and the this, it's to get more visibility and to, you know, make himself a more prominent, I mean, excuse me, prominent name yeah. figure in the NBA, even if his game doesn't catch up. And it's been intentional and strategic and it's worked. Like he's more, again, he's more popular than he should be. But for the most part, it's just, a lot of it is just like, look at me. Like, mm-hmm. I just want people to talk about what I'm doing. Right. Like, not that I actually look great or whatever. It's just pe- all attention, all publicity is good publicity. And so we never want to reward look at me behavior, David. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know. I'm, I, I come from a school where, like, that's not rewarded. You never want to draw attention to yourself. That just, I don't know. That's just something that you just shouldn't do. You shouldn't actively seek out. So I always... I'm a little bit put off by that, but every now and again, you can get something right, even as you're doing stuff like that. So for, 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 
for NBA players especially, like they have they have a very specific look, right? Does not I mean guys that 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 come into the arenas and, and do the do the fashion walk, they're not going to be mistaken for, you know, Joe Blow walking into, you know, um a Wall Street firm or walking into a courtroom. It's a very specific look. And I wonder, as they try to draw attention to themselves, what what is it that they want to, what's the message they want to send to whether it's, you know, the high-end watches or the high-end accessories that, that they can get? What is it they want to, the message they want to send to other companies by calling attention to themselves? You know what I mean? Like, what is it that they want to say about, their look that cuts through the noise and makes these high end companies want to do business with them. I think always the I think always the message you want to send is that there's synergy here. You want to communicate that look, um, you know, Audemars Piquet or Richard Mille or whatever. That look, I got synergy here. Like you're a high end um, company or brand. I'm high end. Right. I have okay. high end taste. Gotcha. Um, I can communicate that vision, right? Like I think about Brett Favre, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Wrangler. Right. It's like what I used to do is I used to throw the <laughs> I used to throw the football <laughs> through the tire in the backyard off the tree, right? right Hanging right. off the tree. Right. And you know, my dad used to tell me to rub some dirt on it. That's how Wrangler is already, you know marketing themselves they're marketing themselves as rough and tumble uh heartland like they're already marketing that so if you're a wrangler or a john deere for instance of course i'm gonna get brett Favre to endorse my product because there's synergy there and i think that's what athletes are trying to do with these but they want to associate with high-end clothing brands and things of that nature um again like you if you're john deere right you would never get kanye west to endorse your tractor. Right, right. Like we get right, it. He's right. a celebrity and he yeah, yeah. shifts culture and he has visibility, but that doesn't make sense. The, 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 you can't communicate a synergy there. Yeah. Ideally what you're doing is bringing in guys, you know, maybe you might get a Garth Brooks or somebody like that for whatever your brand may be. And I think that's what the guys are aiming for. They want to, they want to tell these brands, whether it be Balenciaga or Valentino or whoever mm-hmm. that, I'm somebody who can communicate the vision of your brand effectively. I'm fascinated by that because guys like Shaq go the complete opposite way and do deals with Kmart. You know what I'm saying? Or do deals with the general. Like these kind of Shaq is looking long term though, right? It's like I don't care about looking cool. I care about just strictly generating wealth. I don't think that's what these NBA guys are trying to do. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. Like I it's it's clear that there's a there's a limit to the audience that they're trying to reach. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not even particularly people of color, really. You know what I mean? Like like I mean there's not too many you know, too many people of color that that can that can buy these products. You know, on oh, a regular. Man, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I mean, like if when you so the reason why we try to mention as many of the brands that they're wearing as as possible is so that people can actually go on the internet and look up that item and be like, 
Holy, this is ridiculous. Right. <laughs> I can't, this is $9,000. I can't buy this. Like, you know what oh, I'm saying? <laughs> like, yeah. But you know, the- and that's, that's the point of even referencing that is so that the people, the readers can get a sense of like how important these guys are taking it. Like yeah. the, 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 the capital expenditure of, of, on this stuff, it can't just be because you like it. Like you're right. trying to communicate something yeah. here. Yeah. It's crazy, man. Cause when I mean, I, you know, I'm old now. So, but when, I mean, it wasn't even – you didn't even pay attention to – all you all you were paying attention to when guys were coming into a game was who was late. That was it. Like, <laughs> oh, it was like, oh, damn, AI's late again. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it said, you know, 6.35, AI's just walking in for that 7 o'clock tip. You know what I'm saying? So, but and, the- and you know what's so funny about that, <laughs> that you mentioned AI, is that AI is indirectly responsible for all of this. Hmm. It's AI – and it's the malice at the palace, and it's David Stern's overreaction oh, and being sure, like, "Yo, sure, we need sure. to institute dress a strict dress code." Dress code, sure, sure. And you know, it also coincided with a shift within the greater culture, meaning that greater hip hop culture, where we were shifting from finding guys like Fifty Cent and Wu Tang Clan to be the coolest people to guys like Kanye West right. to being the coolest people in the genre, and there and his aesthetic was never that of. Baggy jeans, Tim's, yeah, fatigues, yeah. and all of that. Right. Um, it coincided with that. And what you saw from, you know, guys like Dwayne Wade and LeBron James and Amari Stoudemire, these guys, not only did they say, all right, we have a dress code, we're going to try to upgrade our look within the confines of this thing. They went out and hired professional wardrobe consultants and, you know, they elevated what they were doing and it coincided with, again, what was already happening within the greater culture at large. And so now we've gotten to the point where like, it all stems from that. David Stern being like, look, man, Alan Iverson with his do-rag and his kid mm-hmm. at the press conference. Yeah. White people ain't, ain't <laughs> trying to take that. No, we can't have that. <laughs> we gotta step we, we in can't here. We can't have that. <laughs> we gotta step in here. <laughs> guess what? Um, to a, cause like, I'm of two minds here of the respectability thing, Dave, mm-hmm. where it's like, on a certain hand, I, I don't think there's something inherently wrong with trying to quote unquote look professional, mm-hmm. right? right. Um, I don't have I, I don't have a disagreement with that. What I do have a disagreement is the idea that as a black man, I need to look a certain way right. to get a baseline level of respect from white mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I just reject that in like instinctively. I, I just reject that notion. Um, I can give an example of a buddy of mine. He's a lawyer. Yeah. And he happens to be an entertainment lawyer. And he's like, you know, a lot of times I show up to a meeting in hoodies. Like, this is like this is music business. Nobody's wearing a right, suit. Right, 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 right. But yeah. as a black dude, he's like, a lot of times I couldn't communicate the vision to people because it's like people not taking me serious. Right. You know, and I just reject that out here. But at the same time, sometimes it's like... Uh, the, the 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 old school in me is like, all right, man, you you going to work? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, there's a, you know, there's a, look, there's a I, balance. I, there, I, right? I still wear I still wear a sport coat. I don't wear a suit anymore, but I still wear a sport coat. You know, it's just that's just me though. Was it doesn't mean I'm right? You know, I mean, it's just that's just kind of how I was brought up. You going to work, look like you're going to work. You know what I mean? Like that's and so that's what has been drilled into me, and so. You know, that's how I roll. But like you said, I agree with you. Like there's no, there shouldn't be one size fits all aesthetic mentality for any group, much less, you know, black men or, or whoever, when it comes to what do you wear 
to work. You wear what you feel like wearing to work. You know what I mean? As long as it, my, my thing is, as long as it's clean, you got to be clean now. You can't, you of can't, course. you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, 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 <laughs> you can't yeah, just be yeah. showing up, you know, in, in anything, but yeah, as right. long as it's clean, you know, it's on you. Everybody's, everybody comes from a different place. So I wouldn't expect, you know, I wouldn't expect these young brothers now to show up in the way, looking the way Michael dressed, you know, back in the day and, and, and the way that those guys dressed back in the day. But shoot, Larry Bird wore, you know, I, uh, Converse hat and a T-shirt and a pair of jeans. That's how he showed up to work. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, yeah. to each his own. Right. And, and and it's all cultural again. Like if you're in Texas, you show up to a business meeting with cowboy boots and a bolo tie. Exactly. And you are more than freaking professional there, right? right? Exactly. And it's just a balance, man, and educating yourself and being open-minded for yeah. sure. Yeah. All right, man. We're going gonna to step out for just a second. We're going to bring in Stan Van Gundy, who is now with Turner Sports. I can't believe I'm saying that. Um, but Stan is doing games. He did the Knicks and – I'm sorry, the Nets and the Celtics uh, the other night and uh, saw Karis LeVert go off-off in the fourth quarter in overtime. So I'm going to talk to him about that and uh, just how, how this transition is going and whether he wants to coach again and all kinds of stuff. Charles Oakley with us this morning talking about the fallout of what happened with Spike Lee. James Dolan's not selling the team. Yeah, but Donald Sterling didn't sell his team either until the NBA came in and did something. So you think the NBA should step in in this situation here because it's a bad look for the league? If you're a former player and what happened to me, where they drug me out there for no reason and, and we got the tape, I didn't do nothing. It's like, it's like hitching somebody back in the 40s and 50s. I mean, I hate to put him in the category with Donald Trump, but I think that's Trump's nephew. Let's bring DA into the conversation here. Welcome to the Comic is Make America what it ought to be. I turned it on and I heard Shaq with the barbs and like the bolster and braggadocio. I was transported right back into it. I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> I think I rap better than Shaq. With David, David Aldridge. Aldridge. Oh, he's totally playing. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Michael was not your friend. It was common enough. So the Chicago and Detroit stuff, that was real. That was real. I mean, God forbid we don't have scholarship monies and can't pay for the charters for the water polo <laughs> in Iowa. Iowa. Welcome to Hoop. Five, four, we have ignition. Stay middle, my friends. The comma is, and welcome to another edition of Hoops and Jason. I am David and we are joined now. Um, very happy because um, Stan Van Gundy is one of my favorite people that I've dealt with over the years. Um, you know, both in the writing piece and also on TV. Because you know, Stan had this great line one time. He said, "The only thing I can't abide is bullshit," and <laughs> and I just I just loved that. That was my favorite line of all time. He just was. Um, you know, he, he keeps it real. He tells the truth. He does not lie. He doesn't mince words. So, Stan, thank you for joining us, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, glad to do it. It should be fun. Yeah, no, exactly. I want to start with the game you did last night. Um, that is crazy. Um, that's the most random 50-point dude of all time, you know. Like, I know it happens all the time now, but I just wonder what you were thinking as you watched that, that game unfold. Well, it was a really strange game. I mean, first of all, the Nets had 67 points through three quarters and then scored 62 points in the fourth quarter in overtime, um, a franchise record 51 points in the fourth quarter. And there was nobody left playing in that game but the people you would expect. So Kenny Atkinson uh, didn't play four of his starters after the third quarter. Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, 
Tory and Prince Jared Allen. We didn't see them anymore. Um, the guys he had in there went on a run and he stuck with them. So Chris Chioza, uh, two-way guy, ran the point for the final 20 minutes of that game. Um, and Kyrus Levert was playing with Timote Luawu Cabarro yeah. and Rodion's Kulac. And yeah, DeAndre very familiar with those two guys, for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then Boston, Tatum was sick, so didn't play all night. Uh, Hayward didn't play after halftime. Uh, Jalen Brown got hurt in the second half, uh, like tweaked the hamstring. So he was out. Kimball was on a minutes restriction. Right. So he played 23 minutes in regulation, finished the game, didn't play in overtime. Marcus Smart fouled out three minutes into the overtime. So they were playing with Carson Edwards, Wanamaker, uh, Javante Green, um, uh, oh, <laughs> Shimmy Ojale, who didn't play in regulation and played the entire overtime. And a combination of uh, Robert Williams for part of it and Daniel Tice for the other. That was who they played. So, you know, if, if you say we're going to get a net Celtics game going to the wire, right. the only guy you saw out there that you would expect to see was Karis Levert. And he was clearly that much above the rest of the competition. It's unbelievable. Just to, to what, I mean, not that he scored 50. They scored 51 points in the <laughs> Fourth quarter. Oh, Karis Levert had only 14 at the end of three quarters. He right. scored 37 in the fourth quarter in overtime. Exactly. Uh, it was one of the best displays I had ever seen, and he was doing it every which way. He was getting to the rim. He hit a couple floaters. He got to the free throw line. He was knocking down threes. I mean, it was a really, really special performance. They were on a four-game losing streak. So regardless of who the Celtics had on the floor, uh, an incredible win for the uh, the Nets, and then just a strange game at the end. I mean, it goes into overtime on a on a pretty questionable foul call on a Karis Levert three pointer. Um, not sure he got fouled on it, but Brad Stevens was out of timeouts, and so by the rule, couldn't challenge the call. Um, you know, just a lot of strange things happening in the game. Um, to get it to where it was, but a, but a thrilling one nonetheless. Stan, I, I consider you to be a sort of expert on the Eastern Conference because it feels like you've spent the entirety of your NBA life in the Eastern Conference. Um, and so that's why I want to ask you about Boston. There's been a lot of noise lately, especially as Tatum has sort of emerged and had, you know, the best three-week stretch of his entire life here and especially in high profile, you know, national TV games against LeBron and Kawhi. Um, how do you feel? Obviously, the Bucks have been the dominant team, even if they haven't been the story of the season. They've been the, clearly the most dominant team on the floor this year. How do you feel about Boston's Eastern Conference chances uh, come this spring? Well, I think if we get a second round series between Boston and Toronto, um, it'll be one of the most hard fought, uh, series that we see in the playoffs, uh, the entire time. I, I think those two teams are, are good, hard playing, uh, team oriented, balanced, uh, sort of overachieving teams. That one will be fun. I think Boston has a slightly better chance 
uh, than Toronto would against the Bucks uh, because it's so hard to score against the Bucks defense. You're not going to get anything at the rim. You do have to knock down threes, which Toronto can do, but so can Boston. I think Boston's edge against Milwaukee um, more than Toronto is they've got more guys who can get their own shot and score in the mid range. And so all the analytics guys, you know, don't like the mid range. It's not a, it's not an efficient shot. Mm -hmm. Um, But as we saw last year with Kawhi Leonard, with Durant before he got hurt, it's a playoff shot because the defenses are going to take away those other shots. You got to have guys who can knock those down. And with Kimball Walker, Gordon Hayward, and, most of all, Jason Tatum, the Celtics have three guys that can do that and do it well. If I look at Toronto, the only guy that's shooting above average, above the league average on mid-range jumpers is Serge Ibaka, and he mm-hmm. certainly doesn't create those on his own. So just a slight edge to Boston, but I think we're talking the difference of they can maybe win two games, Maybe take it to a game seven. Look, I, I just don't see anybody oh, wow. beating Milwaukee. You're all in, in on Milwaukee in the series. Eastern Conference. Oh, yeah. Look, I mean, what they've done to me is remarkable. They won 60 games last year, and they're going to come back and improve that by nine or ten games. Right. I mean, you, you don't see that. I mean, look, they can win in different ways. Mike Budenholzer's done a really good job, I think, um, of tweaking his offense so that he's better prepared for the things that they will see in the playoffs. Last year, they didn't take advantage of switches and try to post people up at Mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. Now they do with both Giannis and Brooke Lopez. They're putting him back down there. Um, If anything, their defense has become even more dominant. And they've got so many guys that can shoot the ball. They literally don't put anyone on the floor who can't shoot the three mm-hmm. so they can really spread you out their roster construction, their coaching, everything's good. They built tremendous habits throughout the course of the year. Um, you know, and I, I think habits carry you. I, their numbers are so overwhelming. I, I just think that they're the odds on favorite to win it. Boston could beat them, maybe Toronto, maybe, but I, I, you'd have to make Milwaukee a, a heavy, heavy favorite in any Eastern Conference series. No, I agree, Stan. I think prohibitively so. They're just, they're so good. They're so good at both ends. And that's, to me, the mark of, of a championship-level team is that they can choke you out at either end. And they just, they just, they're so good. <laughs> they're so good. And and they they seem so locked in, to your point about habits. I mean, it, they're they're doing everything collectively. The ball just moves to whoever the open guy is. It's a lot to me, you know. It's no, it's not, it's no surprise. It's a lot like his team in Atlanta a few years ago, where the ball just moved and whoever was open took the shot. You know, it didn't matter who it was. You know, and they just look like they don't even care who's shooting the ball. I mean, Giannis is going to get his through the flow of the game, and they run some stuff for him to be sure. But it just looks like it's and it, and they make it look easy. I know it's not easy to get that kind of chemistry where everybody is comfortable touching the ball, but also then moving the ball and moving bodies to get to the next open thing. Yeah, there's no question. And Giannis reminds me um, personality wise of uh, what San Antonio had with uh, 
with Tim Duncan mm-hmm. in that they've got a star who is totally team oriented. Um, you know, just even though he puts up huge numbers, doesn't play like he cares about numbers at all. It's all about winning the game. Um, takes great responsibility on himself, gives credit to his teammates and empowers them on the floor. I, I think they've got um, not only the best player in the league right now, and to me should be a unanimous MVP, right. um, but on top of that, they may have the best leader in the league um, in terms of that. It's, it, in my opinion, looking from the outside, it would be, it would be he or Damian Lillard. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's a remarkable guy. Budenholzer's a great basketball coach that gets people to buy in. Um, I, I just don't know where the weaknesses are um, with that team. I, I, I think, you know, the criticism going into the year were their second and third best players good enough. Uh, Middleton has Middleton's been, been incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And Bledsoe's been good. Now I think yeah. there still might be the jury might be out a little bit on, on Bledsoe in the playoffs, but yeah. even if Bledsoe's not great in the playoffs, they have so many other guys, right. George Hills having a remarkable year. And then, you know, all those wing type guys, Wes Matthews and Connaughton and, Dante DiVincenzo. I mean, I love the Marvin Williams pickup. That was, that was a very nice underrated pickup for them. Absolutely. And and a perfect, you know, pickup by a Bucks organization. They, they value shooting. They value, you know, professional mature type of guys. Um, You know, they haven't stepped out of themselves and, and tried to take a risk on a, on a guy who produces a lot of drama or is talented, but maybe not as professional. I yeah, mean, yeah. I heard Dion Waiters is still on the market. Right? <laughs> but he's not going to Milwaukee. <laughs> he's not going to Milwaukee. He's just not their type of guy, yeah, you know, yeah. and maybe he could end up and do a great job maybe with the Lakers because, right. you know, the strongest veteran with no one has more credibility in this league then LeBron James can maybe, and he's played with him before, um, way back, I think. Did they yeah. play? Yeah, they played yeah, in the, yeah, in the, in yeah. the second That's Cleveland stint, but he was done. So, he was done by the trade deadline. <laughs> right. But I think, enough. you know, he can bring him into line. I mean, yeah. I certainly think Deion Waiters could help. J.R. Smith they're talking about. Yeah. Those are guys that can be led. But I'm just saying Milwaukee's not going to bring in guys like that. That's just not been their track record at all. And so, um, yeah, they, I just don't know where the weaknesses are uh, with the Bucks. Uh, I just don't see anybody real close to them in the Eastern Conference right now. Well, Stan, see, like, I, I, <laughs> the, 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 at this point, it's only nit, nitpicking when it comes to the Bucks. Like, this is a team on a 70-win pace. But there's been grumblings and whispers out there that, you know, and I feel like I already know your answer to this, but that Bud, you know, is a guy who's not big on quote unquote adjustments in the postseason. That he did like he's a syst- he's so dedicated to his system that they're gonna run that thing on um, both defensively and offensively, no matter what they run into come postseason, because he so believes in what he's doing. Um, what would you say to that? Well, I look, I, I think that there's a fine line. Um, 
you know, there, there has to be a belief on the player's part in what you're doing. So I think if you're too quick to just tinker and change, you, you know, it, it smacks of a lack of belief on your part in the coach in what you're doing, but you do have to adjust. And, and I think Mike Budenholzer has done that. Like last year, they switched less than any team in the NBA. Um, but then they switched in the playoffs well, on, on certain pick and rolls when they had to and things. And I think Mike Budenholzer would tell you that last year, offensively, they just stuck to their system of playing five out. And so even if you switched a pick and roll and switched a point guard onto Brooke Lopez, he still popped out behind the three point line. Right. You've seen a change in that now. Now, Brooke Lopez, Giannis, both those guys, if you get switches, they're rolling you down into the paint and into the post, and they're going to make you pay. So I think he's already started to make those adjustments so he has more options in the playoffs and has more things he can go to. So I think he's prepared um, this entire season to have adjustments that he can make when he gets to the playoffs. And, and I think he's, uh, will do a great job. I think he's got a team that is locked in. Look, you got to remember last year was his first year in Milwaukee. And I think your first year is different in that you have to really solidify your basis system and how you're going to play the game. Um, and he got that in, and now he's been able to add to it and tinker more and everything else. And, and I think we'll see um, the results of that in the playoffs this year. So, Stan, what, what are what have these last couple of years been like for you, being on the on the TV side, especially, and just kind of seeing the game different and completely differently than you would see it if you were if you were still coaching and you were, you had a team and you were trying to deal with idiots like me trying to bother you at the end of the first or the third quarter to try to get your thoughts while you're trying to think about what you want to tell your team. It's been, it's been different. I would be lying if, if I tried to tell you, I didn't miss it. I, I do. I, I miss the challenge of, uh, you know, trying to figure out a way to beat the best coaches and the best players in the world. Yeah. Um, I miss the camaraderie that goes with a team that's got to go through all of the ups and downs. Um, but there have been good parts. There's certainly less stress um, on this side of it. Um, I think also you look at the game um, through a more objective lens and, and, and not through the lens of just the players you have and everything else. And so I think seeing different things that go on in the league and, different trends and watching how coaches do things differently. Um, I've been able to do more of, uh, more of that. And then I think there's the part where you, you get back to where you just sort of enjoy the game a little bit more, you know, rather than worrying about how we going to win the next one. um, You know, you can sit back and enjoy Karis Levert's performance last night and you can enjoy Nick nurses, you know, mad scientists changing defenses and you can enjoy John Morant and Zion Williamson and, um, 
uh, Oklahoma City Thunder yeah. being unexpectedly good and sort of analyze how those teams are doing it. Uh, it's been a good learning experience for me in a lot of ways. Um, I think it would help my coaching if I ever got back to it. Um, but I've also learned the other, you know, the other side of the business and, um, I've really enjoyed it. And so it's been good to smile more um, and frown less. (laughs) Stan, I feel like Jeff, a lot of his, um, analysis and commentary is centered on his, his, his worldview as a former coach. Right. I feel like a lot of it, like a lot of his his past as a former coach colors what he's doing, you know, on a game to game basis as far as the analysis that he's given the audience. Um, I'm interested in, you know, how you feel when you're watching something like as a coach specifically, when you're watching something like what's happening in, say, Philly. Right. Um, and, you know, you got all this talent on that team. And, you know, generally out the perception out there is like. If you give a coach talent, it's his job to coach it, to figure out how to make that work. Um, how do you how do you analyze what's happening in Philly when it comes to you know they spent all this money in the summer? Um, they kind of made made it clear that the future is now, and we need to get this championship type of stuff going now. Um, and the season has been so up and down. Um, you know, I'm interested in your thoughts in the Philly situation. Well, I, I think it's an interesting one. Um, I thought their their off season signing of Al Horford was interesting. I, I thought Al's a great player, but it seemed like he was sort of a you know odd fit for that team. I, I thought the move was done more because they know Joel Embiid is going to miss a number of games mm. and. Al Horford then could be their center in those games. And that's great. The problem is when you go for a high profile guy like Al Horford, now you've got to bring him in and at least give him a chance to start. They did. And so now he's playing at the four where at this point in his career, he's a center and Tobias Harris, who's a little better at the four spot, in my opinion, is pushed back to the three. Um, and then they lose Reddick and Butler, so they just don't have as much perimeter scoring. Um, I just don't think their roster is as good. And so the idea to me that Philly is underachieving doesn't ring true. Um, they're basically on the same pace they were on last year. And I don't know why anybody would expect that you lose Jimmy Butler and J.J. Reddick and get Al Horford and Josh Richardson, and you think you're going to be better, I I don't think that was a realistic (laughs) expectation. I think Brett made a great move the game before the All-Star break, a bold move, moving Al Horford to the bench. He hasn't come off the bench since his rookie year. He moved him to the bench, moved Furkan Korkmaz into the starting lineup, to get more perimeter scoring and shooting out there, not have Embiid and Horford on the floor together as much. I thought their fit was going to be a lot better. And then the injuries hit and, you know, first Simmons and then Embiid. And so we really haven't seen that team have a chance to come together, but I thought that was a great move on his part. Um, Not an easy move to make as a head coach to go to a 
veteran multiple time all-star and say, Hey, we want you to come off the bench. Um, but red had the guts to do it. Uh, hopefully they'll get back healthy, but Simmons, I'm not so sure from what they're saying yeah. that we're going to see him again this year. Yeah. Uh, backs are, you know, as well as anybody, the backs are, <clears throat> those are tough. Once you, once you get into that, it's, it's very tough to, in a season to, to come back to effectiveness. Um, I, I also want Stan. I wanted to ask you also. You were really in the uh, in the vanguard, um, and I don't think people give you credit for this. Um, right back in the day, now you played four out, one in back in two thousand eight. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you know with Richard at the four, and you had Hito. You played him a lot at the four. You know, with with Dwight in the middle, obviously. But you guys really. We're one of the first teams to really kind of play that, hey, we're going to shoot a lot of threes. <laughs> and, um, you know, really as much, if not more, than Phoenix did back in the time. And I just wonder, you know, what was it that you that you all saw back then that made you think, this, this is not only something we need to do occasionally, this is the way we need to play. Yeah, what's really funny, though, is, you know, I, we led the league, I, I think, at least four of the five years I was here in Orlando in, in three-point attempts and makes. Yeah. Um, and and we'd be in, like, the bottom five now. Right, right, right. Then. So, right. I mean, it's changed so much. We've gone from, at the time, we were one of the few that was starting with a stretch four, yeah. and, and now we've got teams start and stretch five. So yeah. it's changed so much. But for us, I mean, it was pretty simple. It was two things. Um, the first was an injury. So before I coached my first season in Orlando, uh, Tony Batty was sort of the incumbent uh, starting power forward. And that was our plans. Yeah. My plans were to do the same thing, to start him at okay. the four. Because, you know, in those days, Guys, that's what everybody sure, did, sure. right? Yeah. I mean, they started big, and then you might go smaller and go with a stretch four as the game went on. And so those were my plans. I certainly was no uh, was no great innovator. Um, <laughs> but then Tony Batie in September went down with an injury right. and was going to be out a long, long time. And so, you know, our choices were we had signed Richard Lewis in the offseason, um, were we going to play Hito Turkoglu and Richard Lewis now as the two and the three um, or as the three and the four? And, and we just really didn't have another four we could start. The only other real four on our roster um, was James Augustine and Ooh, certainly not okay. a starter level right. NBA player. So yeah. it was really a no choice type of thing. It was out of necessity. And then it worked. And so you stick with it. And then the second thing is, I think you're always trying to do two things as a head coach. You're, you're trying to get your best players on the floor yeah. for as many minutes as possible. And you are trying to complement your best player as well as you can. Look, that's what Milwaukee's doing now. Right. They're building around Giannis. No one steps on the floor if they can't shoot. Yeah. If they don't give Giannis space on yep. the floor, sorry, you don't get the play. Right, right. Um, yeah. And we were the same thing with Dwight Howard. Like, we knew that he would help those shooters and they would help him. And so it really was just pretty basic, simple coaching. 
aided by uh, a timely injury that accelerated the process. So, um, you know, those were fun teams to coach. And and then we also, uh, we had, in my opinion, one of the most underrated offensive players of, of that time um, in Hito Turkoglu, who was, right. you know, a multi-talented 6'10 guy um, who could handle pass and shoot. Yeah. Um, uh, like to be able to utilize a guy like that. And, and, you know, it was funny because he probably came out of that whole time of the two years he was with us at the first. And, you know, we go to the finals and the whole thing and he got a little credit, but not as much as Dwight yeah. Richard, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and that's fine. Those guys deserve credit too. But, but Turkaloo was such a great offensive player. He sure was. And yeah, I think he do definitely unlocked what you guys were able to do because, you know, a lot of times he was playing, he was the de facto point guard, right? Um, and when guys tried to switch on him, he would just punish them down low. He was just an incredible player. But I want to get back to something you said um, about, you know, basically making a team around your best players. And you mentioned that Philly bringing in Horford and Josh Richardson, they didn't have their best players in mind when they brought those guys on, it feels like, right? Somebody mentioned to me at Staples the other day, it's like, why don't we just wait for them to build the team around the two guys first? Like, actually build a team where it's like, no, we're just doing shooting now and some kind of ball handling, but we're just doing shooting. I think to me, that's their biggest problem is that the pieces, they just haven't, like, they went for talent, which... On a, you know, just generally speaking, I think that should be your aim to get the talent and then worry about the fit later. But they've never really tried to build around the strengths of the two guys. Well, to me, the the big one, look, whatever happened with Jimmy Butler, he was only there a short period of time. I don't know the backstory there. Um, it, it could have been as much Jimmy wanting out as them not wanting to pay him. Um, I'm not sure on that. The one that uh, the guy I thought was the perfect fit for their team um, was J.J. Redick. And for a team that had title aspirations, I was a little surprised that they let him walk away. And I understand they had to go pay Tobias Harris big money, which to me, he's a very good fit also. Um, but if you're at that time where it's time to win, I'm just surprised that they let J.J. go because – you know, he fits so well with those guys and he gave their offense a different element um, in his moving without the ball. He had tremendous chemistry with Joel Embiid running that two man game around the elbow area. Um, that to me was a big, big loss. And then it's not always the huge moves. Sometimes it's the smaller moves and the other big loss to me on their team, their players have talked about it was TJ McConnell. You know, they, they gave him a backup point guard when Simmons was out of the game. It also allowed them to play him with Simmons so that they could play Simmons more as a power forward at times and be in pick and rolls as the screener. Now we see Simmons is hurt. They don't really have another true point guard there to take his spot. Um, so sometimes um, what appear to be bit players, role players, whatever we want to call them, 
are very, very important. And I, I think the loss of those two guys were as big as the loss of Jimmy Butler to them. Um, and I would have liked to have seen them, yeah, get get a little bit more shooting on the roster rather than go for Al Horford, even though Al was a great player. Here's the other thing with Al, I think it led to their move. If you remember, the the Celtics used to give them a lot of problems, primarily because Al could guard Joel Embiid. Yep. And so they put him on the same team. <laughs> and Embiid didn't have to worry about him anymore. But he hasn't proven to be a great fit for them. I think Brett, like I said, was on to something with that lineup change. Um, I just don't know if we're going to get to see it come to fruition this year, which I think is unfortunate because I think the way Brett had decided to go was going to work really well for them. Uh, I had that game in Philly against the Clippers. They looked outstanding in that mm. game. Um, you know, much better flow to their offense. I just think that was going to work and it was a great move. And, you know, Ben Simmons back, I think is going to make it so we don't see it. So switching, switching directions here, Stan, like since we got you here, I feel like you have such an interesting um, perspective on this. Uh, you've mentioned publicly already that you and Dwight Howard have mended the fences and, and it's fine. Like you guys are fine now, even though you guys clearly have a past, but I think Dwight's, diminished reputation amongst fans, amongst people in the league, literally started with that whole thing that happened in Orlando, where people were completely put off by the trade demands, the way he treated you in the public, all of those things. And people just soured on him, and it kind of snowballed from there. Um, And to now see him have this complete resurgence in LA where he's legitimately one of their most important players and is going to figure prominently into whatever it is they do in the postseason. Um, I'm just wondering what your perspective is um, on that Stan, just watching from, because you clearly have had a past relationship with Dwight Howard. Yeah, look, I, I'm really happy for him. Um, he's clearly uh Loved and appreciated by his teammate and coaches. He seems extremely happy. I saw him, uh, you know, near the end of January, we had one of their games out there. got a chance to talk to him. He seems as happy as he's been since he left Orlando. Um, he's accepted being a role player uh, on, on a very good team. I think he's really locked in. I think he's in a very good place uh, personally and professionally. And I think that's good. Um, I've looked back on that, uh, that whole incident interview wise, um, you know, frequently, uh, over the last eight years. And while I don't regret doing what I did, I I regret the, uh, I guess negative perceptions, uh, it, it brought to Dwight and how it affected, uh, his reputation, um, Look, as far as our relationship, I, I think all of us um, judge, hopefully we do, judge our relationships on the totality of our interactions with yep. people, not not on one incident. And, mm-hmm. and I think sometimes in sports, um, because we're so rabid about sports, that if somebody has one episode with a teammate or a coach we put the relationship in light of the worst incident. And I think we all know 
from our own relationships. That's not the way it goes. I right, mean, right, people right. argue with their wives. They yeah, have mm-hmm. blow-ups with family members, and they're the people you care about. Dwight I just had one an hour ago, Stan. <laughs> yeah. No, and Dwight and relationship was good. Pat Riley used to say when I worked for him that the coach-player relationship was a business relationship designed to get results. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true in large part. And if you're going to judge Dwight and I's re- relationship, I-, I think you have to judge it as a good relationship that worked for both people. I mean, we won a lot of games. Yeah. We didn't win a championship. We won a lot of games. We got to the finals. Dwight had five unbelievable years uh individually. I mean, he was first team all NBA all five years. He was a defensive player of the year three times. It worked for him. It worked for me. And then at the end of the day, we had, we had one incident and, and that was it. And, and it's unfortunate to me, um, that people have looked at our relationship just in those terms, but to Dwight's credit, um, he hasn't looked at our relationship in only those terms. And so it's been, you know, nice to be able to, you know, see him and talk to him and, and, uh, you know, still have a good feeling about the things that we did together and the time that we spent together. Well, that's the, Stan, it's the great thing about lasting, right? Is that everything, you know, if you hang around long enough, everything becomes different, right? Every relationship becomes different. It evolves, it gets better, um, you know, and so that's the great thing about being fortunate enough to, to kind of be around. Um, and, and I'm glad you're here, man, because you just, you make the world a more interesting place. I really do mean that. Um, and, uh, I hope you're enjoying the, the, uh, I'll call let's call it a, a, a sabbatical, uh, <laughs> the coaching sabbatical, uh, being on TV and, um, you know, I, I wish you well and safe travels and, and hopefully, you know, we'll, you'll be back on a bench again very soon, making, making a team better. Cause that's what you, that was your MO for your whole career. And it's what you, it's what you do. And I expect you'll probably do it again sometime. Well, we'll see, but either way, I'm going to be around the game in, uh, in some form or another. And, uh, I know our paths will cross several times. I appreciate it, Stan. Thank you for your time, man. Stan, thanks right, for guys. coming on. And I'm glad you helped us break the news that you'll be rooting for Dwight and the Lakers <laughs> come this coming playoffs <laughs> in the finals. No, I'm neutral. I'm neutral, but I will be rooting, I will be rooting for Dwight. But not necessarily uh, the Lakers. So I've got two other former players on that team, Avery Bradley and uh, right. Contavious Caldwell-Pope. So I do right. follow them on a uh, nightly basis. <laughs> All right, man. Stan, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Waz, I love that dude, man. I mean, he's just um, – yeah. he's real. He's a real guy. Um, and he, he's um, – you know, he gives you his honest opinion and um, – I like guys like that that aren't trying to curry favor. They're not trying to suck up. They're not trying to, you know, just be about the stars and all that all the time. He just, uh, you know, he talks about the whole game because he knows the whole game. And um, really enjoy him. I'm glad he could make it. it was, uh, I enjoyed our, our talk. And um, uh, I guess that's that's what we got this week. So, um, you know, check us out on Apple Podcasts. Leave a nice review. Leave a review wherever you get the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast. Go to theathletic.com. 
and um, subscribe to the podcast. When you subscribe to The Athletic, you get to read what I write on a regular basis about the NBA and all kinds of stuff. You get to read Waz's style rankings every week. Read his great piece about Kawhi Leonard, New Balance, and the relationship that they have forged. And you just get the best content you're going to get anywhere for an incredible price. So hopefully you can do that. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Comma is. Comma is. But when you see a business like this, year after year, just keep not on the basketball court, having problems off the court, trying to get people to come there. They're not coming there because it's a bad, it's a bad toxic situation because it's so much control going on. You should be running with a group of people, not a control freak.